As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's Straight Outta Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Chelsea look to end their losing streak against City. The women's team face their first game post-exit news. And it's quiz time, available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Post-exit news. In my head, that worked better than it's come out because it's Emma exit, but obviously they both begin with E, so it doesn't really uh, work. Anyway, we are back again to talk about Chelsea. We will talk a bit about Emma Hayes later. It's me, Matt. I'm joined today by Liam Toomey. How are you doing, Liam? Yeah, good. Um, Looking forward with a mixture of excitement and slight trepidation to covering the Manchester City game this weekend. Uh, yeah, we'll get into Chelsea's recent record against City because it's not a particularly good reading. Uh, Dominic Fifield's back with us too. Dom, you okay? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Matt? I'm all right, yeah. I wanted to get your quick thoughts on the uh, Monday madness at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium because it was crazy. Did you enjoy the game as a neutral? What was your favourite bit? The disallowed goals, the VAR checks, the pulled hamstrings, the book managers, Spurs pretending that actually they won when really they lost? <laughs> My favourite bit was watching Spurs's seven-one-zero formation and the high line. I thought it was absolutely captivating. Look, it's essentially it's a brilliant, brilliant result for Chelsea, which is fantastic. And you know, another four-one away when they they feel as if they're moving in the right direction. For all that, it was deeply unconvincing in so many areas. Um, still, much like their season, but I, I disagreed a bit with with si, Simon's assessment from Tuesday's pod, he was sort of sort of criticizing Postacoglu's tactics and saying they were naive. Which they were, but they were wonderfully naive. And 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 actually I think that probably you probably need the context of Tottenham's last few years 
when you look at them as, as an explanation as to why Tottenham fans were were so not proud, I suppose, of their team at the end. But I mean, they, they've just gone through such miserable football under Mourinho and Conte for the, just now that, that you have a gung ho manager that's that's prepared to do this. And indeed, as Liam made the point, came very, very, very close on three occasions to plucking a the most unlikely of equalisers at two two. Uh, I actually can see some merit in it, although. I, <laughs> on the back of the the whole occasion, I went and listened to the Tottenham pod that we put out at the Athletic, the View from the Lane, and their panel was completely split on it as to whether it was brilliant or not. So uh, it was just absolutely entrancing as a as a game of football, uh, madcap, fantastic. I think weirdly, Pochettino probably came away with as many concerns as Postacoglu did despite winning 4-1 away at the league leaders from the beginning of the weekend so just brilliant and and, and great drama yeah and Postacoglu wasn't here to defend himself if he were he would have said oh look mate here's a withering put down that I'm going to belittle you with um, and then moved on uh, so that's the end of the Spurs game next up there's a big one Chelsea's youthful side Welcome the champions to Stamford Bridge on Sunday. Just like in the Champions League for City this week, it's Man Against Boys. We'll preview it next. Right, this looks like a tough one then. The league leaders in town this weekend as Pep's peeps aim to record a seventh successive victory in all competitions against Chelsea for the first time in their history. You have to go back to the pandemic days, June 2020 for the last time the Blues beat the Citizens at Stamford Bridge. None of the last 16 Premier League meetings between these teams have ended level. I wonder if that might change here. Uh, Liam, reasons to be positive. Chelsea have generally been better this season against the big teams, haven't they? There's the, the Tottenham thumping that comes with the caveats, but I'm also thinking about the draws against Liverpool and Arsenal at Stamford Bridge. Sorry, I was just slightly distracted trying to pinpoint exactly how many future quiz questions you'd referenced <laughs> in that pre-match preamble. Yeah, uh, Chelsea have been better against the, the bigger teams with that Tottenham game kind of standing alone as a crazy exception to every rule. I think they they were happy broadly with the performances against Liverpool and against Arsenal, albeit Neither of those were 90-minute performances. And that's where I think the concern comes against Manchester City because I don't know if Chelsea have played really well in any game for, for fully 90 minutes this season. They've had lapses in pretty much every every game, as you might expect young teams to do. But the margin for error against Manchester City is is almost zero. So they, I think they will have to take another step up again from what they did against Arsenal and Liverpool. I mean, 60, 70 minutes against Arsenal, I don't think they really made a mistake. So they they will have to do that for 90 plus against City. And the, the other thing is that I remember writing this, I think last season, head of one of the meetings between these clubs, that City seemed to really enjoy putting the hurt on Chelsea when they get an opportunity to. And so I think they will be, they will be motivated for this game, regardless of what the league table says. You know, it couldn't be more emphatic that Chelsea are not a threat to City, but I think they do they do quite like when the opportunity comes their way to really put Chelsea back in their box. So it's going to be a huge test. And they Chelsea don't even really have the consolation of Erling Haaland not being at full steam because we all thought he might have 
picked up an injury after the weekend. That particular battle station looked fully operational in the Champions League in midweek. So all the arrows point towards City, but I think it's also quite good that Chelsea get to be the underdogs again because they did embrace that against Liverpool and Arsenal. Yeah, don't ask Harlan for his shirt at halftime. You'd only make him angry. I think that's something we've learned this week. Um, Dom, I wonder if actually that defeat against Brentford and, and the kind of wonky performance on Monday, to put it politely, is masking what's been an OK run of late from Chelsea, certainly by 2023 standards. They've won five of their last seven in all comps. They've only lost once in that run. Are you seeing signs of, of tangible improvement from Potter's pals? Yeah, I am. I, I mean... Actually, when you look at it, the Brentford performance and the and the late sloppiness against Arsenal are the, are the aberrations in this run. Really, I know I know that as Liam says, they're not being consistently excellent in games, but they've certainly done enough in most. There are a couple of League Cup ties in there, one against Brighton's reserves and one against mid-table Championship team in Blackburn. But but even so, it's encouraging, and the results there has been a distinct upturn, and that will feed the confidence, give it a bit of momentum. You know, we all looked at these this run of games as as quite daunting, but actually the performance, well, the result at Tottenham, the performance against Arsenal, would bode well going into to games against City, Newcastle, Brighton, and the, you know, the formality of the win at Old Trafford in early December. I think things are looking up, and look, I know sometimes again it goes down to context. Really, it's are we measuring this Chelsea team? against, you know, the the best Chelsea teams from the Abramovich era? Or are we measuring this Chelsea team as a as a young side uh making their way out in a completely new era and you know should be judged as such. And I think we have to stick with the latter. We have to say that they're a, a team that's that's been flung together in a relatively short period of time, a lot of instability at the club, and they are progressing at a probably at a decent rate, actually. Yeah, agreed. Uh, let's drill down into the the team then, Liam. How many changes are you making for for this game from Spurs? If we start with defence, is, is it risky to go with Rhys James again or are you just rocking it till the wheels fall off with him? Are you thinking Colwell at left-back or did Kukurea do enough? Is, is it Badia Shield instead of Dizazi? There's lots of options, basically. I don't see Pochettino messing with the centre-back pairing. He's had so much faith in Silva Dizassi as the the central axis of that unit that I I just don't see him messing with that, especially with City coming. Um, at left back, it's an interesting choice because I think Colwell did not cover himself in glory when isolated against Kulisevsky for that first goal. He's largely done well at left back this season, but there have been moments, particularly against very skilled wingers, where he has looked like a centre-back operating at full-back. But at the same time, you just don't know what you're going to get with Mark Kukurea. I think he had a good performance against Bukayo Saka, but he's had two or three performances this season where he's been a complete liability and someone that the other team actively targets. So that's that's a big part of this as well. And then at right-back, I think you do go with James, as long as he's fit. It was quite notable that the moment Chelsea took the lead against Spurs, Pochettino brought him off because I think he wanted to give him the best possible chance to be fit and firing for, for this game. Almost cost him though, didn't it, Liam? Almost, yeah, given Gusto came on, gave, immediately gave away a stupid free kick. 
I do think the fullback decisions are maybe the most fraught ones because you look at where City do a lot of their damage and it is with those positional interchanges and overloading the flanks and those little triangles they play with the underlapping runs. They can really get you on a little carousel there if you're not careful. So it's they're going to need the fullbacks to be on it, but they're also going to need their wingers to really protect the fullbacks so they don't get overwhelmed. But that all starts with with, with who you pick and how fit and ready they are. Worth remembering that Ian Matson can play at left back. I know we haven't seen it, but he seems to have um, really... No one's told Pochettino. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he hasn't played there yet, has he, for Chelsea? But maybe we're not going to see it. Uh, into midfield, Dom. I wanted to talk about Enzo Fernandez. I thought he was pretty disappointing against Tottenham. We, we're going to need to see some some actual measurable output from him soon, aren't we? Before last weekend, only Rashford and Mopé had underperformed their XG more in the Premier League this season. He's got one goal and two assists in 35 games for Chelsea. The goal was against Wimbledon of League Two. Um, I'm guilty of this myself, but is this spotlight going to be shone on him a little bit more if he, if he doesn't start kind of stepping up and, and, and doing things that affect games? Look, my take on that is that Chelsea have got plenty of things to be concerned about. I wouldn't say problems, but plenty of things to be concerned about. And Enzo Fernandez is output isn't one of them I don't think I'd look at his performances generally and, and he would like to score more goals I'm sure I'm sure Chelsea would love him to score more goals there was a period a few weeks back where, where I was talking to Simon we were contemplating a match piece on why Chelsea aren't scoring many goals from midfield which is a is an issue definitely but I think he's carried himself very well we have to remember again okay he's a World Cup winner who cost an eye-watering amount of money, but he's still within that the first 10 months of his career in this country. He would have learned quite a lot over the sort of omni-shambles of the end of last season, but he's now with a different head coach, playing in a different way, playing in a slightly tweaked role compared to last term. I think it's all part of the education as it goes on. He's still young. I look at the way he plays and he's still very classy. At Spurs, he was clattered early on for the on the penalty and um, ended the the evening with an ice pack on his ankle. So I, I imagine that his performance there reflected the fact that he was injured. I have no concerns about his progress, to be honest. I think actually a game against Manchester City where he's putting himself tete-a-tete with some of the best midfielders in the country, I think it's uh, it'll be an occasion for him to shine. I think Enzo's been broadly excellent this season and Chelsea shouldn't really be putting him in the positions where he's bombing into the box five or six times a game because that's not really his game. He he should be controlling matches. And I think that that unit of him, Caicedo and Gallagher has looked really, really strong and maybe less so against Spurs, but has largely looked really, really strong in the last few games and I think did a really good job on Arsenal. So if... If they're going to cause City problems, I think you have to you have to cause them problems in midfield with and without the ball. And that unit is capable of doing it. The question, as Dom referenced, is how fit is Enzo? Is he going to be 100% after taking that blow to the ankle? Because they will absolutely need him to be. Even if they don't have the lion's share of possession against City, which you never expect to, when they do have the ball, they have to use it really well. And I think he's the best player in the squad at doing that. 
Uh, yeah, I should probably add for balance that Conor Gallagher hasn't scored yet either. He does have three assists so far this season. Uh, well, somebody who has been producing in terms of goals and assists is Cole Palmer. This is the Cole Palmer derby, lest we forget. He's now played more Premier League minutes for Chelsea than he did for Manchester City. Involved in seven goals in his last seven Chelsea games in all comps. Three goals, four assists. Cold as ice from the penalty spot. And Liam, you're going to be writing about him because he he's the talking point, right? We're, we're talking about team selection here. It's It's which 10 players are going to start alongside Cole Palmer at the minute. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how integral he's made himself to this team already, given, as you say, that it's taken a handful of games for him to surpass the number of Premier League minutes that he played in his Manchester City career. He's given Chelsea an awful lot on the pitch. But what what struck me even more, particularly after the, the Spurs game, is the way that he's carried himself since arriving at Chelsea. I don't think it's an arrogance, but he's clearly a very confident guy and the way he talked in that post-match interview next to Nicholas Jackson about it's easier to play against nine men that was great <laughs> well and, and also yeah he's he's had a difficult start there's no hiding it but he just has to work harder it's like, he's right there and he's the same age as you um even Patrick Davison was surprised he's like he has to work harder yeah of course <laughs> so he's talking like a 10-year veteran in this squad and to be fair his performances are justifying a pretty exalted status in the squad hierarchy the fact that he's already on penalty duty and seeing off animated questions about who should take penalties and then scoring them I think tells you all you need to know about his character I think that that's certainly one of the most exciting things about Chelsea adding him is that they've not just added a very talented player, they've added a real personality. And I think the squad needs that. They need strong characters that believe that they can go out and be the best player on the pitch and really impose themselves on every game. And and that's the impression he's given so far. And I'm sure he will be super, super motivated for this game. Liam mentions Nicholas Jackson there, Dom. I think as the weeks developed, I've got a bit cross about the treatment that he was afforded for his performance against Spurs. Was he perfect? No. Did he get a hat-trick in the biggest game of the season for Chelsea? Yes. Duncan Alexander of The Athletic tweeting, Nicholas Jackson now has as many Premier League goals this season as Ollie Watkins and Evan Ferguson and as many Premier League hat-tricks as Dennis Bergkamp and Eric Cantona. Uh, We can assume that he will be starting this game after what he did on Monday. The worry that we had about him was consistency, wasn't it? So it'd be good to see him go on a run from this point. Yeah, but is it realistic that he's suddenly going to be transformed? I mean, hopefully he's, again, confidence-wise, yeah, the goals will have been a massive boost for him. Do Manchester City know how to play offside? Do we know that? (laughs) (laughs) does Nicholas Jackson know how to stay onside is that the question um it, look it doesn't he's automatically endeared himself to to Chelsea supporters got massive leeway now he's scored a hat-trick against Tottenham Hotspur and a, what ended up as a riotous 4-1 away win and that's what people will look at when they look at the Chelsea's results this season they'll see 4-1 away Nicholas Jackson hat-trick they won't necessarily remember the the frustrations before that first goal went in but I, I, again, I, I just, I just think it needs a bit of common sense on it. He's still got rough edges. He's, he's still a player that 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 needs polish, that needs 
needs experience, needs games, needs to be playing as a nine, needs to learn how to play as a nine in the in the in the Premier League. Um, a player that I think Ollie Kay wrote a very good piece this week actually about comparing him with Hoyland uh, at Manchester United. I know Hoyland scored twice for United in Copenhagen in their four three defeat in midweek as well. These are both young strikers coming into clubs where there is a state of flux whether that be a rush of incoming players in Chelsea's case or just utter chaos in Manchester United's. They're both hugely talented players. They've both commanded massive, massive fees. Well, no, Hoyland's commanded a massive fee in most contexts at most clubs. The, the £30 million, pound, whatever it was, that Chelsea paid for, for Jackson would be classed as a massive fee. In Chelsea's context, it's probably not that. But there's expectation there, and that's the problem. It's the weight of expectation on them to to basically fill a, a huge void, a goal-scoring void in both of these teams. And it's too much to ask for players of their level of experience. They're learning. They're going to have highs and lows. Monday ended up as a fantastic high for Nicholas Jackson. Sunday may be completely different against Manchester City. He's up against Gvardiol. He's up against Ruben Diaz. He's up against Rodri in midfield, who are going to be less accommodating than Tottenham Hotspur's nine men playing on the halfway line. It's going to be a completely different test for him. And he, and it may be a test that he completely fails. But, you know, he may also cause them problems because he he comes in with a level of confidence now and he's got talent and he 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 runs those channels and he is selfless in, in what he does in a lot of ways. So we just, just need to cut him some slack, basically, and, and accept there will be ups and downs to his Chelsea career for the foreseeable future. Liam, we try not to talk about referees much on this podcast, but it's really interesting to me that Anthony Taylor is going to be the official for this game. Chelsea fans always take a sharp intake of breath whenever they see his name next to their fixture, uh, for good or for bad. But particularly in this instance, this is a guy who was busted down to the championship last weekend. He did Preston versus Coventry, and Mark Robbins, the Coventry manager, was heavily critical of his performance. Is it odd to you that he then gets promoted back to the Premier League, and not only that, but by far the most high-profile game this weekend? I'm not really sure. Um, I didn't know any of that background because I don't, really follow referees and the last time Anthony Taylor had a controversial Chelsea game I wrote a piece which annoyed a lot of Chelsea fans talking about the Anthony Taylor conspiracy theory and a lot of Chelsea fans objected to me calling it a conspiracy theory but I understand why that that can be strange from a PGMOL perspective I'd imagine maybe their argument might be that they have a small select group of referees and Taylor's body of work is bigger than just the last week or so. I mean, Chelsea fans would argue that his body of work is <laughs> very different in their eyes, but he's one of the most experienced referees in what is now actually quite a young group because there's been quite a lot of change over the last year or two. Had a few retire. And he is always in the conversation for the biggest game of the weekend, along with like Michael Oliver and a couple of others. So it's not a surprise that he would get a game like this, I don't think. As for the background, I think PGMOL tend to hope that these things mistakes are forgotten quite quickly and people move on it's not always the case uh, but there was going to be a microscope on him any Chelsea game he did anyway I actually thought in the piece I wrote a couple of it feels like it was a long time ago because Tuchel was the coach but I guess it was only what two years ago Tuchel really went for him and 
spoke in terms of like everyone at Chelsea questions this guy essentially to the point where I thought would Taylor be able to do another Chelsea game um, would it be too awkward but equally I don't I don't think that's an answer either to the situation because he's clear like there's no evidence that he is has a personal agenda against Chelsea whatever Chelsea fans say there's just a series of decisions that have gone against Chelsea that Ch- Chelsea fans remember and they don't remember the ones that he's given for them uh, as is always the case so I hope it's not a talking point because I hate nothing more actually there's one thing I hate more than talking about referees talking about VAR mm-hmm. um, but yeah I, I hope it's about the teams yeah obviously he doesn't have an agenda against Chelsea it just seems like uh, Pogmol put a bit more pressure on him at a time when they've already done that at least he's not going to have to take on Jose Mourinho in the car park I guess uh, so City have won five in a row they're top of the league but Dom they've already lost three away games this season at Newcastle in the Cup and Arsenal and Wolves in the league what do you think have Chelsea got a chance of getting something from this match well I watched City's game in, in midweek and they were they weren't really tested by by young boys from from Switzerland in the Champions League, to be perfectly honest, but they did lose John Stones at half time to an injury, uh, which will keep him out on Sunday, and that that is a blow. The problem is that they lost those three fixtures. I think I'm right in saying that Rodri was unavailable for all three through suspension, and and he will play on Sunday, and they are a different prospect. Uh, for, they're very daunting when when he's in the team. He sort of glues them all together. Look, you're never going to say never because because Chelsea have got individual quality that that can come to the fore and 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 unsettle any any team in the division. But City, yeah, five on the bounce. It feels as if they, having now reached the top of the table, it's it's almost like okay, they're going to strike on and 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 make their move to to become clear of the pack. So I think it'd be really really difficult for Chelsea to get anything. I think a draw would be an excellent result. But you're sort of hoping that a Palmer, a Sterling, one of these players with something to prove maybe against their former club might uh, might do something very, very special. Yeah, Palmer, Sterling on one side, Nathan Ake and Mateo Kovacic coming back to Stamford Bridge for the first time as well. We're not sure of narrative there for Liam. What do you think the score is going to be? Uh, I think it's going to be a win for City, but a close one. I think Chelsea will be competitive and I think it yeah, it might be a an agonizing defeat. I'm gonna go for two one City. Well, we mentioned Raheem Sterling there. There is a chance that he could face a ban for this game as the FA are investigating footage of him supposedly throwing a missile back at Tottenham fans. Just one win in the last thirteen Premier League home games for Chelsea coming into that one this one failed to score in three of the last four at home in the Premier League so maybe this is the weekend when that statistic turns around whatever happens we'll react to it in our Monday show looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team go to Everton in the WSL on Sunday in the first game since the big news. And we had Jesse talk us through Emma Hayes' departure on Tuesday's pod. Go listen to that if you missed it. There's also a really good piece up on The Athletic now by Charlotte Harper uh, talking about Emma Hayes and what comes next for her. Well worth a read. Uh, we didn't get any reaction from our regulars to this news. Liam, how did you feel when it broke? It, it really shook me on the platform at King's Cross, I've got to say. Covering Chelsea, there are very few news developments that that startle you, but that did genuinely startle me. And I guess, you know, the day was always going to come at some point when when Emma Hayes decided for whatever reason that the the time was right. It was never going to be Chelsea making that decision. It was always going to be her. But it was always going to feel like a massive shock because it's like... You know, it's the equivalent of Ferguson leaving United, Wenger leaving Arsenal. This is like a an epoch-defining departure. And Chelsea women is is the house that she built. Quite literally, if you go to the training ground, the, the, the training complex was constructed to her specifications and with her input. And she's really been the architect of every aspect of that project and fought for every bit of funding that they got within the club as well. So, yeah, it's a massive loss. I think it's a massive loss for WSL as well because she's she's been such an an eloquent and forceful spokesperson for the women's game um and for that competition i think she's actually really had a significant role in its growth beyond winning it a lot of times <laughs> and it's a big question for for chelsea now and for chelsea's new owners because it's been notable since they took over the club they've basically left chelsea women alone because there was nothing you couldn't even make the argument that anything was broken. You know, they they just let Emma Hayes and Paul Green get on with it. I, I don't think we have clarity yet on whether Paul Green's staying or not. They were very much a recruitment partnership. So maybe if you keep him, you don't lose all of that. But it, it it's a massive it's a massive challenge now for them to go out and find someone worthy of replacing her. And I thought Jesse spoke really well about this on on the pod just after the the news broke the difficulty is there is no obvious candidate because no there aren't many clubs in the women's game of chelsea stature and resource and and certainly not many candidates working at those clubs who've who've proven they can work at this level and and do as many things as emma hayes did so they've at least got a bit of lead in time before this change has to take place but it's it's a it's a massive massive decision that will define the the whole operation moving forward. And in, in the meantime, I would expect that the current group of players will be extra motivated now for the rest of the WSL season and, of course, the Champions League, which has always been the holy grail for her and for, for many of them, to really win as much as they can and, and send her off on the biggest high possible. 
Yeah, that's the the fascinating thing, I think, Dom, isn't it, as regards the rest of the season, whether this motivates or, or demotivates the players. I get, guess we'll get our first glimpse into that on Sunday. But you'd imagine, would you, as Liam's saying, that this is going to be extra fuel for them rather than leaving them scratching their heads and, and worrying about their futures? Really good question. In the short term, I imagine there'll be... It won't be an upturn. They just won 6 nil away. So a bit, I think they'll be... They'll certainly play... Uh, well for for Hayes in the short term because we're, we're riding a bit of a crest of a wave of emotion at the moment. It's the start of the farewell tour um, and it's just going to be yeah Hayes stories for the for the foreseeable future but I think the, the challenge comes maybe in the new year maybe going I mean depending on how Chelsea address this I, I think it's an almost as Liam says it's an impossible task now uh, whether that be Green, whether it's Win Stanley, whether it's Stuart, whoever is appointing the successor, it's a completely thankless task. This, and you know, if they if they make an early appointment now, then I think that affects the players in one way. If it drags on and it's just silence and rumours for the next three, four, five months, then that will also be unsettling. Um, you've got a load of players there who are out of contract at the end of this season, who. It would be understandable if their results dipped off and that they start. There's uncertainty over who's going to be Chelsea's manager. Do they want to stay? Are they going to be offered the chance to stay? It's a really, really unsettling time, and it feels like a. I mean that that actually gives it this sort of end of era sense, going into the, the you know the back end of the season potentially. I mean it's it's intriguing. I mean, you, we always go back to. I mean Liam mentioned Fergie there, Sir Alex Ferguson uh, at United. We can't forget that Ferguson announced he was going to leave Manchester United early in a season once, and that season ended up as a complete disaster because the players, they may have said publicly, look, we're committed, we're as committed as we ever were, as motivated as we ever could be, but they just weren't because they they were unsettled. They were wondering what was happening next and where their own futures lie and where they would be affected by it all. And, and there is a risk of that happening at Chelsea as well um, with Hayes. So... I mean, good luck to whoever is making that appointment, quite frankly, because that is as as big a moment as Hayes announcing that she's she's leaving. Yeah, well, it's uh, ten years ago, wasn't it, that Alex Ferguson left Man United as as manager, and they've never been the same since. So let's hope that doesn't happen to Chelsea. Uh, away from the women's team, the under twenty ones out of the football league trophy, they got a proper shoeing at Oxford on Tuesday night. They needed to win to advance to the knockout stages. They ended up getting thrashed. 5-0, Josh Murphy having the time of his life. Uh, they'll look to atone for that when they head north to take on Leeds in the Premier League Cup on Sunday. Uh, no game for the under-18s this weekend. They're not in action until the end of the month. All right, we're going to do a quiz next. This from Don Petri. I've been vocal about how much I dislike the Thursday quizzes. The most recent episode further proves my point. The dead silence after Matt asks a question is not good audio. Hopefully that wasn't too long of a dead silence for you, Don. A uh, bit of pressure then to be quick with the answers. Dom, you're up first here. Obviously, this is Chelsea Man City focused. Uh, question number one. What was the aggregate score in the four games between Chelsea and City last season? It's a dead silence. 8-0, Manchester City. 
absolutely flying out the traps today. Really good stuff. Fast maths. Even Don's going to like that. Uh, Liam, first up for you. Who made their Chelsea debut playing the full 90 in the FA Cup defeat at the Etihad last season? Chelsea debut playing the full 90. Uh, would that be Lewis Hall? That would not be Lewis Hall. Dom, can oh. you steal it? I was going to go for... Oh, uh, your mate, uh, Bashir Humphreys. It is Bashir Humphreys. I think, Liam, you just wanted to answer too quickly to appease the disgruntled listener there. And if you're just giving yourself a few extra seconds. Don has completely ruined this for both of us now. Thanks, Don. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I can either please Dom or Don. There's no pleasing me. <laughs> <laughs> but you might be done. Uh, Dom, here's your second question. This is getting really difficult to say. Uh, the first Premier League meeting between Chelsea and Manchester City was at Main Road in 1992. In the City team that day was a defender who would be sold to Chelsea for £750,000 three years later. Name that defender. Um, Terry Phelan. Yeah, How do you know that? Because right. uh, he came on loan, I think, to Palace at some point from Chelsea subsequently. I'm pretty sure that was the case. But he was he spoke with a very broad Manx accent. Just so people are clear on what we're doing, we're trying to replicate this, the aggregate score between Manchester City and Chelsea <laughs> last season. <laughs> well, look, I mean, Liam, I gave you a layup here and Lucy's made me change the question because she said it was far too easy. So Have I you met me, Lucy? It. Which former blue... <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Don's getting angry. Come on. <laughs> Which former Blue made his Premier League debut for Chelsea as a sub in the 3-0 win against City at the bridge in August 2006? You're going to have to repeat that again. I can hear that one. Which former Blue made his Premier League debut for Chelsea as a substitute in the 3-0 win against City at the bridge in August 2006? 06-07. So I think that would have been the summer when they added... Balak and Shevchenko. Uh, I'm going to go Shevchenko. Dom, do you want to really rub it in? I've got a funny feeling it's Simon's mate, John Mikel Obi. It certainly yeah. is. You can put the three uh, names of his name in any order you like, you'd still be right. I was going to say which podcaster, you see, because he's just... Uh, I'm glad yeah. we didn't go with the easier question. <laughs> all right so dom's got four and liam's got nil this is a this is a footballing trophy style whooping uh <laughs> third question for you dom not even supposed to be here are you liam you only feel like i'm in. not you do appreciate it third question <laughs> for you dom who scored a stoppage time winner in the 2-1 chelsea victory against city at the bridge in 2013 Oh, I just... oh uh, no idea. Samuel Eto. Incorrect. Come on, Liam. Sorry, did you say when in 2013? Who scored a stoppage time winner in the 2-1 Chelsea victory against City at the bridge in 2013? It was a Sunday game and it was dark when he scored, so it was probably around winter time. But I didn't look up what the exact date was. <laughs> so I'm just trying to place 2012-13 or 2013-13 was the year that yeah three we had three crap strikers. Jose Mourinho went crackers and I think grabbed his son who was in the technical area to celebrate right. with. So thirteen fourteen. Uh, Hazard. 
been a hazard, this quiz for you, Liam. It's not correct, I'm afraid. The answer was Fernando Torres making back-to-back ah, appearances. I got it wrong last time as well with him. <laughs> Sorry, Don. Right, it's 4-0. Liam, please get this right. Name the three subs that Chelsea used <laughs> in the 2021 Champions League final. Oh, so Christensen came on for Thiago Silva. He surely did. Uh... You were there, so I don't think it's as Pulisic came on because he nearly he scored. One more to go. Uh, it's Croatian. <laughs> don't tell me off, Lucy. He's got he's four nil down. We want him to come back on again. <laughs> I Mateo Kovacic. Yeah, well done, Liam. <laughs> I wouldn't have remembered that one. Because <laughs> Ross Barkley didn't even start the game, why would he come on? <laughs> yeah, sixty fifth minute. That old uh, that old Sarri doozy. The tiebreaker from Lucy would have been how many shots on target did Chelsea have in the four games against City last season combined? Oh my God, which is evil. You're, you're lucky she doesn't write the quiz every week. Um, anybody know shots on target? Four games I'm against. I'm even City. luckier. I don't do the quiz every week. Seventeen. <laughs> Seventeen's not a bad guess. Uh, 15. That's an even better one, but they're both wrong. It was 14, I'm afraid. Um, I mean, yeah, good question, Lucy. Was the tiebreaker worth five points? <laughs> uh, <laughs> even if it was, you wouldn't have got them. So irrelevant. Uh, Liam, Cole Palmer's on the agenda. Anything else we should be looking out for up on the Athletic? No, not really. <laughs> well, not, not, not not from me anyway. Nothing worth reading on the Athletic, famously. Um, no, plenty of excellent stuff, just not not from me. So we've got Palmer going up at the uh, on Friday, and then I will be at Stamford Bridge on Sunday for the game. Lovely. I'll see you there, uh, Dom. Anything up on the site that you'd like to flag for us? Well, I'll, I'll preempt things. Simon is when he's recovered from this bout of illness. Will. Um hopefully be doing a, an interview with a, a young Chelsea loney currently out in the EFL. Hopefully it goes live next week. And both of the guys are, are working on a what will hopefully be a very, very good and insightful project involving Chelsea's future. I will keep it at that for now, uh, just in case we get trumped by someone. But uh, yeah, that will be out during the second week, fingers crossed, of the international window. Stuff. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up to read those articles if you aren't currently a subscriber. You can help us out by leaving us a nice review on iTunes or a good rating on Spotify. If you could not say that you'd rather a Chelsea podcast uh, wasn't hosted by a Nottingham Forest supporter, uh, that'd be very useful for me in particular. Uh, many thanks to Liam and to Dom and to Lucy for their company today. Mainly to you, though, listener. We couldn't do it without you. We'll be back again on Monday. Have a great weekend. Bye for now. The Athletic.